Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland. This is a spot where nurses share their stories and their experiences to provide mentorship as well as help nurses and soon-to-be nurses just like yourself along the way. I hope you enjoy these episodes. Season two, episode four of the Virtual Clinical Podcast. Wait, no, 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 no. We're on season three, episode four of the Virtual Clinical Podcast. My bad. I love your futuristic thinking. What's up? Your futuristic thinking. The f- that's right. <laughs> Soon we'll be on season four and it'll be a whole lot better. I'm joined today with my friend and colleague, Julie Reynolds. She hails from Nashville, Tennessee, but has roots in Illinois, which I'm eager to hear about. And she is both a nurse and certified aromatherapist. And I shouldn't say both because there's a third one here too. She's also an entrepreneur that is involved with the Essential Oil Nurses Organization. And I reached out to Julie a while ago to join this podcast. And then some things happened and I couldn't do it. And now here we are finally together discussing all things nursing between us. Welcome to the podcast, Julie. It's it's an honor to have you on this. Well, thank you. It is an honor to be on here with you. I am a fan of yours. Oh, thank I'm a fan of yours as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be an awesome day today. So tell us a little bit about your journey into nursing, because when you reached out to me, you're like, nursing was the last thing on my mind. <laughs> and it was just like this means to an end. And I just wanted to do service work, which sounds fabulous. I love service work, but you had mentioned that you were a church planter. So describe to me your, your beginnings and what a church planter is, because I have in my own mind what I think it is, but I don't actually know. Uh, so let's start at your beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've always admired people who know what they want to do. And I hear nurses talk about how I just always knew I was going to be a nurse. And my mom was a nurse. My aunt was a nurse. You know, they always have really beautiful stories. Yeah. And, um, so then I usually just stay quiet, but (laughs) I knew that I wanted to help people and I didn't know psychology or what that was. And to be quite honest with you, I went into nursing because it was the least amount of schooling that I could do yeah. and still be in a service profession Yeah, and that, you know, you use where you use your brain and, you know, so, and honestly, I was wanting to be a missionary. So oh. at the time that I um, was entertaining, you know, what direction to go, nursing opened up opportunities. Yeah. So I could get into countries that were otherwise closed um, to missionaries. Um, and so I saw nursing as a vehicle to in doing a lot of things that maybe I wouldn't be able to do or uh, just that door to go through, the tool to use. Um, church planting, uh, we ended up graduating. I got done with school. I went to Chicago with my husband for him to finish his seminary experience. And I took a job doing hair transplantation. So (laughs) never in my wildest dreams, when I set out to become a nurse that I think I was going to be doing hair transplant, (laughs) but that's where I ended up in Chicago um, for a little bit. And then, then that's where we really started learning. I didn't even know there was such a thing as church planting, but it's just starting churches. So going to different communities that, um, that you resonate with, 
um, to start a church and we had kind of an idea of what that would look like. Um, and church planning doesn't pay. So no, you raise support like a missionary and in the United States, that's a difficult challenge. And so um, that's where my nursing became that means to an end. It pays, paid our bills and it allowed yeah. us to do the things that we were called to do. And I found that to be true about nursing in general is that um, even when it's not you and that even as you're finding your way and to that job, um, that dream job, you're still you have lots of options to really just explore and um, pay the bills while you're trying to find your way. Yeah, and trying to plant churches all throughout the country. I can imagine that's probably pretty difficult in some respects because some churches have a business model behind them and other churches are among this um, this community of other churches. So they're, they're kind of supported by each other, but not necessarily have a for-profit behind them. They're just service-minded. But I imagine that if it's, you know, something where it's like strictly service-minded and you're going to spread any kind of word around this country, you would probably have to have a business behind it because I could imagine that there's so many loopholes and just, that's a really like, like groundwork movement, grassworks, grassworks, right? It, grassroots. Yeah, grassroots, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was getting there, it's fine. Grassroots <laughs> movement, which which honestly like, you know, I, I know we'll get to this later, really struck my mind as perhaps why Essential Old Nurses started as such a grassroots organization and has that ability because of your work here in church planting. I think nurse planting may, or church nurse planting. <laughs> yes. When I say nurse planting, I might have. I, I don't know, maybe maybe we just coined another term. I love that. Um, no, church planting really, um, you know, first of all, comes out of just, uh, you know, wanting to spread the gospel and wanting to experience the church in a new way. And we were, our model was kind of hybrid. And at the time, um, there wasn't a lot of it. We wanted to do neighborhood churches. Oh, that's we cool. We wanted to do in the homes. Yeah. So we wanted to those to spread and people meeting in the homes. And we had this dream actually that it would support itself, that people would begin to take care of themselves, take care of each other. Um, this and, model and concept. Yeah, so it's, so you have that big, business model and obviously that requires a lot of money and funds yeah and we kind of saw a lot of those funds going to things that didn't really help people and build community sure. um they do over time if you can raise enough money and you can make it sustainable but that wasn't what we were all about um we partnered with other churches that were like that so that they because they liked our vision because you can reach people in a place where they actually are and I think maybe my heart of, as um, a nurse to really build that community and a healthy community and sustainable community, um, all connected to you know what it looks like to be the be the church to one another um, and and build that community. So that was what our work was. So it, like I said, it, it there wasn't a lot of funds. Um, for that and we and it takes time to build community yeah. and build that so that it's um so that people get that we're going to take care of each other um, yeah that we that that you know 
churches teach tithing or giving um, in that way. And what we would be giving towards was each other and taking care of the needy and taking care of the poor. Yeah. Uh, and that was really our vision is just to be that. And it was going to take a long time and it was going to move us around a lot. Yeah. Uh, so. But it was going to be fun, right? Yeah. It was going to be fun, exciting. Oh, you yeah. Meet Lots people and Oh my goodness. Yeah. That, that sounds like you, when you just discussed, you know, the community setting church, that reminds me of an episode I did with my friend Kirsten who moved back to Chicago area and she was heavily involved in a church out there and then was reacquainted with this church and she's in hospice care now. So her practice is, is kind of solely based on the same principles that, that you bring up which I love in terms of serving others and helping others, but doing so through a death perspective. And I think that's really important as nurses, if you're finding yourself grounded in some sort of belief system that, you know, it's really grounded in one thing. And for her and, and for you, it sounds like it's kind of like the same principles of, we're, we're gonna start this, we're gonna serve people, we're gonna help the poor, we're gonna move around a lot. <laughs> we're gonna have a fun time doing it. And, you know, to me that, I mean, in, in my own reflection, right? So I identify as an Episcopalian and we are heavily in the service-minded mindset. Um, we don't necessarily, you know, start churches as you described. We're more of a, we have a church here and we're gonna help this community, but perhaps it's because we have a lot of churches already around the country, but um, but same principles. So it, it's really neat to hear that kind of the same principles, but perhaps different denominations and all this other stuff too. Yeah, actually, um, speaking of Episcopalian, we, um, when we moved to Nashville, we participated in a church plant here, and uh, the, the pastor that is leading it is actually an ordained uh, Episcopalian priest. So. Episcopalians rule the world! Yeah, so <laughs> love the, the, the culture there of just serving the community yeah. and loving like Jesus loved. Yes. Um, and that was our dream, and I would say like the kind of... Um, it's the same thing that drives me as far as nursing goes now with essential oil nurses mm -hmm. is that when you get a hold of what it should look like, right. you get so far away from that by a lot of times it is like that business model takes us off track, yes. culture takes yes. us off track, um, ambition, whatever ego, whatever it is, all of those things kind of draw us away from our roots. And that would be you know, in the church, it's about being community. It's about loving one another. It's about right. loving God and loving one another. And it's about you know, just really being there and supporting being Jesus to one another and loving like he did. And at its core, there isn't a lot of, you know, glory. There's not a lot of like, there's not, like, I mean, people, there is that, you know, stream, that prosperity stream. Um, I don't have anything there. It definitely don't have anything against making a lot of money, but that's, it can't be what it's all about. It can't be the goal uh, because then you get off track. And I would say like nursing, when you go to the essential nurse, like what is health and wellness supposed to be, you know, yeah. we have, you know, a history of plant medicine and we have everything that we need. Our bodies are designed to heal themselves. So many uh, simpler natural, natural solutions for our health and wellness but we get taken away from that by, we have to make it an industry. We have to make it, has, the success has to look like this. The mm -hmm. success, we have to make money. We have to have big buildings. We have to have technology. <laughs> we have to have all of these things that maybe take us away from our goal instead of drawing us closer to them. And so 
then it's just kind of becoming a little bit, uh, it seems strange to me that these basic root things are countercultural. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, it does. And in, and in my own research, it doesn't because of how modern medicine has kind of pushed that away in many regards. And, you know, it, it needs to be this mirrored, not mirrored, this married uh, kind of relationship between the two. And so that it works for the patient and doesn't work just simply one way. And we're not forcing somebody into a box and that it can meet the middle and we can choose together what that means for the individual patient. Absolutely. And if you look back at the, and, and this is what I do, and this is how we, we planted churches based on what Acts 2 said that the church should look like. And we, like now with essential oil nurses, my whole approach to nurses is looking back at, even going back to, you know, before the Flexner report. Um, and you go back before that, where you had a lot of natural medicine, a lot of plant medicine mixed in with, but no real standardization, no way to know what was actually working. Uh, research was all over the place and difficult to disseminate. So we come into like the Flexner report where they commissioned an English teacher to standardize the process um, and explore like go to medical colleges and try to figure out how we can standardize this. Then they place the regulations. And then we just like freaked out on the, on the, the financial opportunity of all of that and took it too far. And so now it's, you know, it seems like it's all, all or nothing when we needed to hold on to that and place standardization on instead of jailing the physicians that were using holistic measures. Yeah train yeah. them, bring them into standardization, bring some into that, but there was no money to be made in that. So, so then we lost it. And we, I think it's time. And I think people want that. Our patients want that. They want safer options. We know more now about the risk and patients are experiencing that. The way we disseminate information makes it possible for them to understand the risks and, and everybody knows somebody who experienced those problems. So now we can, we have an opportunity while the, our patients want it. Um, a lot of nurse, a lot of practitioners want it just to bring that back, those things back together um, and integrate fully natural solutions. And that's, you know, not just essential oils, that's nutrition, yeah, exercise, all the things of wellness um, yeah. that, uh, and yet, you know, still I, I'm in the PACU and doing deep breathing with people that are having, you know, are experiencing pain and we're waiting on the solution and I'm still getting eye rolls, <laughs> you know, like why that they don't think that this works and you see it work for people and even just the simplest things can be so powerful. We need to bring them all together. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it, it's such a great opportunity as well for nursing research to really take advantage of this situation because very famously evidence does not get put into practice for at least an average of 10 to 20 years. Once it's done in a research study to actually implementing it somewhere, it's a very long time. And I think that more people need to understand that that's a very long time before we actually see results of a study being implemented into somebody's patient care somewhere. And so when I first read about you doing things in the emergency department and in the PACU, I was like, who is this nurse? <laughs> what is she doing? And how did she get to, to like implementing this? Because 
because if it takes 10 to 20 years to get something done, how did she do it so quickly? And what were the techniques that were used to implement this stuff? And, you know, you started reading about all these things through conferences, through magazines, through everywhere. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I had no clue I was ever going to meet you. Right. And I was like, hold up. <laughs> this is the same person. I'm going to pick her brain about everything. <laughs> and then gracefully, you know, you started a conference and now here we are. Right. But back then, you know, how did you go about really convincing someone or just kind of like implementing something so simple, in my opinion, so simple for patient care? Yeah, I think that, first of all, I'm fortunate to be in a large academic center that has the resources. And so it kind of puts me in a place to be able to share those resources out with those who don't have those the, the same uh, opportunities. But um, <laughs> since, since starting this and being where I am, I'm thinking it's I'm probably going to be on that track by the time I actually make a practice change. But <laughs> <laughs> the research, I mean, it's we have a lot to build on. So um, with essential oils, that's the thing is that I think it's been kind of not so well known, but nurses have been doing research with essential oils and inpatient care for 20 some years mm-hmm. and putting out really good data. It's just disseminating it has been a real problem. Yes. And um, so I think that's as much as, you know, why I started the conference, why, <laughs> Because when I presented my research in front of a lot of people, I had an opportunity to hear from a lot of nurses. Probably, I probably had a, you know, hundreds of inquiries. Um, how did you get to do this? How did you disseminate? <laughs> well, this is how we do it. And then, then they started sharing all of the work that is being done that I didn't know about. And so um, I had an opportunity, you know, I, I did, I said, set a press, like I found where other nurses had worked and kind of built on their work. So it wasn't independent and if you know, an original idea at all. Um, So discovering that I just kind of thought we have a dissemination problem. We have a problem that we've got all these nurses out here doing this fabulous work and nobody knows about it. And then where they're having, they they struggle, it's a struggle, especially for a staff nurse to take it all the way to publication. And that's how we can get the word out. But you have to have somebody in your corner helping you through that because with the increased demands and loads on um, patient care in that setting, you have to do it all on your own time. And a lot of nurses just don't know how to do it. Where do you start? How do you get published? How do you get this? How do you navigate the IRB? Mm. So all of those things. It's a very delicate thing to navigate the IRB for everyone listening. It is daunting to... Not only, so in, in my professional world, really quickly, um, we have to complete city training, CITI, and that's a good stepping stone to getting into any kind of research that you want to, whether it's quality improvement, EBP, traditional research, such as like your randomized control trials, it really helps to teach you the realms of protected research. And it's very important when you are publishing something to have either an exemption, like an IRB exemption or an approval. And if it's an approval, then it becomes a consenting process. You have to have usually a PhD researcher behind you just to kind of like support you if you don't have a PhD yourself and then kind of, you know, design this research project and go forward. So that's kind of like the, what, what we mean by when it's 
when it's a little bit daunting to see an IRB document and to try to fill it out, sometimes you have to be a little bit strategic as well in terms of what data you're looking at and where you're going with that data. Yeah, and my biggest aha moment was when I realized that there are actually human people. There are human people. <laughs> there are humans. So many, so many good terms today. <laughs> yeah, there are humans that are doing this and they are their IRB boards because they care about good research. They care about innovation. And so when they see something that is actually going to help patients and move things forward and is innovative, they want to get behind it too. And so then when you connect with them as humans, it becomes a little less daunting because you realize they're going to help you. Mm-hmm. That when they send back their reviews, those are not critiques or those are not no's. Those are not you know, you don't know what you're doing. Those are, we're trying to help you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was like the biggest thing. And then just actually emailing the IRB, uh, per, you know, contact and getting that relationship started so that they could actually tell me what it was that they were looking at without, you know, in not such a form formal way, but so just personalizing a little bit, the IRB um, process is very helpful as well. But I think it's crucial and a lot of nurses skip that step. I think, I, I think it's absolutely crucial. I think yeah. it's, I think perhaps it's easier sometimes for nurses working at academic medical centers to take advantage of an IRB because I think that most, if not all academic medical centers have an IRB attached to them in some <laughs> respects, whether it's, you know, let's say Vanderbilt's IRB has their own IRB service or Vanderbilt is using, I don't know, uh, Barnes Jewish IRB for some reason for, for their review processes. There's some yeah. method of like, say, if you were working at Vanderbilt. Yeah, correct. Sorry. Yes. If you're a nurse at Vanderbilt, you can use their IRB or if they're associated with a Barnes Jewish IRB, uh, that's, that's what you would do. Uh, yeah. For smaller community hospitals, I, I would imagine that, that there's someone in a administration somewhere or someone to, to help you navigate where to figure out how to have an IRB approval somehow. Cause I feel like, I, I feel like you, you probably could use like a Vanderbilt's IRB and reach out to them. I don't know if there's associated costs with that. Perhaps there might be, but these are really good tools for nurses to start thinking about in terms of starting their own research. Because I, I, I heavily believe that both city training and IRB reviewal is just so in, integral to getting your research done. Yeah. Well, I would really like to see more multi-site studies. Oh, yes. And if you do multi-site studies, you partner with someone with an in-house IRB um, and learn the process with them. You still have to do the city training just to be listed on the, um, but I know that I can list uh, nurses from outside of my facility on my IRB application. That is not a problem. There is no cost to that. Um, they just ask that you, you have to have the proof of the city training. Um, so that is a, one, another option is to partner with a nurse that has an in-house IRB if you don't have access to one. That's a great um, idea. But it is, I, it gets a lot of traction, especially with, our, uh, with other disciplines, with our physician colleagues. Um, a non-IRB approved study is really difficult to, if, I mean, you could do it, um, a quality improvement project um, those have a lot of, get a lot of traction in the institution that you're in. Um, but if you want to be able to really move the cause forward outside of the institution, 
the IRB and publication. It's um, it's time consuming, and it's a little, <laughs> it's intimidating. Mm. But it's I think the same thing. You get you get a contact, you get in touch with an editor that you know finds that you can find favor with. <laughs> um, ironically, how I found favor with an editor was um, an interesting story. Is I got a lot of critiques on my publication. <laughs> from aromatherapists, um, okay. they didn't appreciate it <laughs> very much. And they oh. started like bombarding the, the editor with um, comments about who is this nurse who you know thinks that she is qualified to talk about essential oils. And that editor is very endeared to me right now. I could publish anything probably. So <laughs> <laughs> It's good that you made a relationship with this person that once was probably not a, not a huge fan and then you were like no 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 but this is what i want to do i'm She's not like trying, what I'm not is going to take on? this must you. be really good stuff yeah. but it got readers you know so you, it got some attention onto the the journal and the and the conversation was it was interesting um yeah i bet it was and she liked the way it propelled the um the nurse the image of nursing i think that nurses are qualified to do things that, um, you know, certified or not, I, I was certified. They just assumed I wasn't. Um, but I, at the time, didn't say I was a certified aromatherapist because it didn't mean anything to my institution. Correct. Yeah. So you're I'd, absolutely right. I got it for the education <laughs> and that was, so I didn't talk about it. Right. Because at the time, I don't think people were looking at nurses as also being certified aromatherapists or needing to have another holistic type of certification behind their names. Cause there are certainly, you know, a certified holistic nurse, certified wellness yeah. nurse, certified wellness coach, certified nursing coach. There's so many different uh, avenues now in this particular year that several years ago, there was not absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love that you brought up QI in addition to, you know, a formal IRB study in my own QI studies, I go through the IRB just to get a, a letter of validation that says it's good. You're, you're good to do this. We know it's just a quality improvement project. Here's our stamp of approval. You know, you're not, a, you're not, you know, producing any kind of risk towards people. And that to me is equally as important as if it were a, a formal IRB study of let's test this out and see if pay management's better with a certain, a certain thing than the other. Um, and even so quality improvement projects, if they're within your unit and you don't want to go outside of your unit or organization, you typically don't need an IRB to review it um, because these things happen all the time with plan, do, check, act, um, and just making systems simpler or processes simpler that don't necessarily need to be published, but should, in my opinion, um, because of, the, of just the spirit of innovation. But QI in itself lends it to not be a finalized project, right? So QI should not be thought of as, well, I did this and it's done. I fixed falls and I'm done. But really it's going to be a continual process of we're going to keep figuring out the problems and draw out the waste so that we can make the process so simple and so effective that it works for anybody that comes in and just sees this process. And, you know, that's, that's where I think certain things, like let's say like we're bringing in an essential oil aromatherapy inhaler, something simple that you can provide to patients or anybody. And you're like, here's how to use it. A good QI study will help enable you to figure out the time of day, um, what patient population 
you know, what process are you improving with this? Simple things like that. Whereas an IRB study will help determine if this is more effective than this at doing something. Right. Well, and they think of the things that you don't think about that will strengthen, it will, will possibly introduce another outlier or um, just as simple things as sending one email and then realizing that you wanted to change the wording. And so you now you send another email out to, to, to communicate. Well, now you have just altered your study. Yeah, yes. Things like, like that that you don't think about without their oversight. Um, but so that's good. So yeah, my main thing is don't be afraid of the IRB. Mm, don't be afraid. Be, be friends, friends with friends. them. They're our friends. And I, um, I realized I was pulling a lot of, I told you I pull a lot of, there's tons of research on essential oils that, um, and in communicating, especially with my physician colleagues on the value, it can kind of overshoot like what the FDA will actually allow us to do or say about essential oils. Yeah. But to pull, um, you know, I just read an article in the Perianesthesia Nursing Journal about um, inhaled essential oils for abdominal, after abdominal surgeries for pain, mm -hmm. um, total knee replacement for pain. Um, and these are just inhaled essential oils. Um, but the studies, the two studies that I pulled, or one of them was from Iran. So take that that's been done outside of our country, apply the rigor that is required by our IRB, replicate it and see what we, the IRB loves that. So, yes, they do. Um, and they love to partner with that. And so that's fun to have that kind of assemble the team and do something like that. Just take this, well, here's a study that was done in Iran by, you know, some nurses here. So what if we replicate it here and run it through our IRB and see what we can do with it? Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. That's really, you know, as far as like, I was so excited to meet you, first of all, when we so first started the conference um, and you had this the first time I met you, you did that power stance. And I did. You were just owning the room. And <laughs> <laughs> I love that because that's what we need. Like, that's what we need. We need nurses just to step up and bring all of themselves into this and make the world a better place. Yeah. Um, and whatever that looks like, it might not look like a power pose in front of the screen. Um, but, um, and you've done a lot of really great presentations, I think for essential nurses too, on how to bring research. Um, you, with whatever passions, whether it be yoga or essential oils or breath, breath work, energy yeah. work, yeah, just whatever our passions are, we can bring those in and research and disseminate. Um, yeah. And gut health, gut health was the number one. Oh yeah. You did the important. gut brain. Um, yeah, that was, yeah. oh my God. So I have to tell the podcast this because I tell everyone in private this too. So so at, so if you are a nurse that is like, you know, I like doing research. I think I want to present this and I love, um, you know, just talking about things. Present, presenting is the most unreal experience you could ever have. And I didn't have, did not have much. This, that was my first podium presentation, first of all. Really? And, yeah, really. And why well, I, I should say my first podium presentation at a large conference I have done council work. So I think my, my primer was being chair of a, of a housewide council and every month needed to be in front of these people talking about whatever I need to talk about to help, you know, steer the wheel in a specific direction to help get things done. Another really good tip for good, for new nurses, like to find your voice, get on why to be a part of the committee. 
learn how to speak in front of a group of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, like just, right. just do it. Like nobody. Yeah. So I learned very quickly that nobody cares what you look like in a way, like yeah, you, you should dress nice. Right. But like, nobody cares about anything else than what you're going to tell them because you are the expert at that time. And it shouldn't be daunting. You should own that process and with conviction, like just, just speak and just educate the world. Right. And so that's kind of my mindset going into this. I didn't rehearse. <laughs> Y'all gave me 20 minutes to present on a topic that I could have presented on for like four hours you know, at, at a time, know. how in depth it was, but like you have 20 minutes. And I was like, okay, sure. I have 20 minutes. I will somehow condense what I have into 20 minutes. Sounds great. Sounds attainable. In hindsight, we should have <laughs> given you a little longer. It's okay. It's all right. Um, I, I have no qualms against that conference. So I flew out to Salt Lake city, not even knowing that this conference was real, right? Because although I was very excited, but, but let's be honest, you're starting a conference that's brand new and it's not one of the big ones, right? It's not an NTI. It's not a double A double N it's not magnet. It's, it's this conference that's happening in Utah <laughs> in the, at a town in the middle of a desert. So I get there and I am just really impressed with everything, like the setup, how things are run, meeting Kathy for the first time. I was like, oh, like this is actually more than just the zoom meetings we've been on to try to meet with each other and get to know how we're going to run this conference. And looking back on this, so many, so many different learning points for me was, you know, okay, I have to have this thing ready. I'm not going to worry about what I can't control, you know, such as the speakers not working, such as, you know, the timing not being right on certain things. Like, I'm just going to go out there. And then I went right after lunch. Like I had this lunch break. So I'm literally nervous eating lunch, thinking about my presentation. Like how am I 20 minutes? I'm just going to talk about what I'm going to talk about. And here we go. And I step on the stage and I just kind of let it flow. I don't know what came over me. It was just this, the greatest thing of my life was being in front of people talking about something, right? I've learned that right away that I love being in front of people and love talking about things that I'm passionate about. And if it's something that I think is important or like really early breaking things, because we were just starting to learn about what gut health meant to all of us. I become very attached to it. I go down the rabbit hole, I'm going to be very attached to it. And because this was a such oil conference, I brought an, hopefully some good evidence towards, you know, pointing people into the right direction. Am I an expert on this? No, I'm not an expert on this by any means. Was I the expert of the day? For sure. But other people need to own this process and become experts on this and develop that into, into newer things. So, so that conference was was kind of like this, this light bulb moment of, oh, I really love doing this. People hopefully gravitate towards this and can carry it forward. And then when I got feedback of it, I was like, oh, this is addicting. Like this was, here, here we are, like, let's do this again. Yeah. yeah. And so you're like, what do you want to talk about this year? I was like, I don't know. I was like, I guess I could talk about <laughs> research and I could talk about this. Great. Let's have you back. Great. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's so awesome to hear your story because I've heard a lot of stories like that from other presenters. And it really, that speaks to my heart is I'm really just all about empowering nurses to find their voice yeah. and whatever that is. I, I don't much even like sometimes it, it's about a topic that I, I just have no idea about, but I learned right. so much that right. way. Um, but just, you know, you, you mentioned Kathy she present. she did conferences for, for NICU babies and for NICU yeah. nurses and how um, the world. 
and she has done so much um, toxin, <laughs> toxin free before toxin free was cool. And just a lot of things like that. So partnering with another nurse who has that expertise, putting on a great conference, bringing in, you know, and then having yourself. I mean, you own that stage. That was I did. Awesome. I, you know, I, I regretted just not bringing some Hershey kisses for everybody, but then I was like, well, I talk about gut health and how sugar is bad for you. <laughs> so I'm pretty happy that I didn't bring it, but you know, it's yeah. a little bit of time, right? <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's what we need more of that, of nurses coming together. Um, and it, uh, and just speaking about what you're even just speaking, like you said, about what one thing you're learning, yeah. um, it might spark someone else to, you know, to take it further into a research project. It might spark someone else's passion to really just to develop. I love that. How you, how you said that. Um, so yeah, I think and that's actually kind of how, it's how essential nurses started and it's how it's going forward is just trying to connect and collaborate, um, find this, the nurse voice is, um, you know, there's a lot of organizations working on it. Um, and I think, I think nurses really struggle to find mm-hmm. their voice, um, in a lot of times in a position where you're an employee, where there's a power start, there's a perceived power. Yes. And there's a no hierarchy right? that, um, that legally, I mean, we are autonomous. We are our own um, profession, our own expertise that we bring to the table. And yet we struggle with how to really own that. Um, yeah in the positions that we are. And sometimes we do have to go outside of where we're employed to, to find that. Yeah, it was, it was often, I, I reflect back at a lot of different starting points in my nursing career. And I had always had thought that I couldn't do things because I needed permission to do them from yeah. someone, right? Because you, because you, you think, well, I have a manager, so I should ask them if I can do this. And at some point, you don't like you, you just have to do it because nobody's going to, you know, say no to you if you're going to help make the world a better place, right? If you're going to disseminate information, that's the most important aspect of my opinion of being a nurse is to educate others and find your own voice, just like you're saying, and owning that process. Like I, I have found that in presenting, I found that in podcasting, and I found that in doing many different projects all throughout my organization, I don't, I, I think more people just, just need to hear that, that they too can also do that without worry that somebody's going to say no. And if no is the worst part of it, then you got nothing to worry about, you know, because you should be so passionate about something and try new things. It doesn't have to be standing on a stage. It doesn't have to be starting a podcast. It could literally just be writing an article. It could be leading a council. It could be joining a council, sharing your voice that way. I think shared governance is such an important part of at least my organization that I work for. And I have found no qualms about it. Um, and I think that more nurses just need to just to just do things and be innovative and think of new ideas because ultimately it's going to help patient care down down the road. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you read about, um, I'm a big fan of Florence Nightingale. And so I tend, she's the one that I know the most about. And if you look at even just opening a window, it can be as simple as just providing some fresh air, teaching somebody square breathing, you know, just 
it doesn't have to be complicated and um and team members team with other nurses mm-hmm. you don't have to take it on by yourself um i love what you said about the permission is yeah we tend to in our employment to like to do anything uh, to make practice change you're going to need to know that chain of command and mm-hmm. know it well <laughs> and work it well um so there's a lot of that uh which is why you know just you know set up a course or something to help other yeah. people and um and every time that i identify a need i try to like let's let's figure out how we can create a tool for nurses to be able to do this because i know how much it takes to to as a staff nurse i've done all of my essential oil research and and taking it into practice change and policies that's all been on my own time yes and yeah when I say that to other nurses, they're not so apt to jump on board because right. who wants right. that? Well, I'm passionate about it. So I yeah. was all day working yeah. on it. You actually bring up a really good point and, and a really good point because I've done the same thing in my career is, you know, I've reflected more on perhaps a business background. I don't have a business background. Let's start there. But if, but I've learned a lot from watching things like Shark Tank and from hearing other people who want to do things and get things done. And it really is a 24 seven thing. It's, it's not something that you always get paid for. Being a professional nurse is not something that you always get paid for. It shouldn't be necessarily your identity, right? But if you want to do things and create things, it's gonna take time outside of your traditional working environment and you're not always gonna get paid for it. In the beginning of things, and, and, I, and I shouldn't say that you're not always, always going to get paid for it. I, sh- I should say that if you're starting out and you're passionate about something, you need to build up your expertise. And building up your expertise is not something always that, you, that you're going to get paid for. It's learning how to create skills within yourself that make you a more valuable person in the future. And when you do that, then you get to the point where you can have consulting fees. You can volunteer for organizations that perhaps might pay you a stipend for the volunteer work that you're doing, which is kind of like a caveat, but it, but in the world of some things that I've been involved with, it's it makes sense for the work you do. And it's not like a, a tremendous amount of money, but it does certainly help. And then you can start doing other things and, and you kind of learn as you go, you know, your path, what makes you successful, how to go around different things. Perhaps you want to start a business somehow um, or just, just volunteer your services or become more marketable to other things that you can sit on a board for or you can work for a tech company or something else that you're marketing your skills that you have built and you can offer them for a much more higher value. Yeah, there's there's just so many options to making things work. And one little mind trick I've done with myself is would I work my current job if it was exactly the same pay and it was salary instead of hourly if I actually wasn't punching a clock because that punching a clock gets in my head about the days off when I spend two hours (laughs) in a meeting on my day off and don't get paid for it then I'm thinking I'm doing this all for free well I'm doing it because I want to do it really right Right. Hopefully, right. if you're not doing it because you don't want to do it, you should stop doing it. Correct. But <laughs> it's something, it's important to me to move this forward. So I'm going to follow through and I'm not punching the clock. I'm not getting those hours. But if I translate it into like, if would I work this job for the same amount of money if it was salary 
and probably I would. So, um, <laughs> so, so you had to be smart with it, of course, but, um, you know, then I can be think then I can think of like, this is just part of the job and not as far as the mindset of it. Um, so I'm not getting resentful towards my employer. Yeah. Don't get resentful. That's, that's the worst thing I think that could happen in, in your career. Um, we have to be smart too. Like invest in the things you care about, you know, the, the don't just say yes to everything because it might lead to something and not care about the work that it's doing. That's when all of that happens. I, I hear about like resilience is a big buzzword, right? Um, yeah. I think nurses are because they're nurses, I guess I just see, I think resilience defines nursing. I don't think it's something that we have to, we do have to hone it and nurture it, but I just, I guess that's where nurses tend to care about things, certain things, some things and not others. And if we all just attack the things we care about and put our voice into that, it, it will all happen. So you don't have to step forward. And like, I don't have to be part of the falls committee. Somebody else right. really cares about that. Right. Will lead us perfectly into that. And that will happen. I don't have to do it. Right. Don't feel guilty about saying no. That's a very important exactly. yeah. skill to learn is that you don't always have to say yes to everything that you have been asked to do. If it doesn't provide you value, if it doesn't bring you joy, that's a huge thing now is, is joy in, in the workplace. But if it really doesn't bring you joy and spark some sort of creativity, you don't have to do it. And you bring up a really good, good thought of nurses are kind of really resilient about a lot of things. And I think we're getting better at identifying that, you know, whereas you don't have to volunteer for so many things. Someone else can do the false committee. Someone else can do this, this activity and you can do something else or even just simply take care of patients, you know, um, that that is a really good i think stress reminder too is to not get super stressed about your job and if it's bringing you a lot of stress do some deep diving and really think about what might not bring you stress and perhaps make a shift yeah i mean learning about essential oils saved my nursing career i mean i was i was gonna walk away really and, oh absolutely because i had had it with the everything <laughs> Um, it was a very, I felt like I was in a very abusive environment and every day just being beaten down maybe by different elements. I'll call them elements sure. <laughs> of the culture. And I just, I was like, what am I doing anymore? I don't even, I'm, I'm all actually not even thinking about my patients anymore. I was getting to the place where I was just experiencing all those symptoms of burnout that we talk about. Mm. But it was because I did, I wasn't doing anything that I really cared about. And I did, I wasn't exercising my voice. I learned about essential oils and I went, this has to be part of healthcare. Well, I don't even know what a sesquiterpene, that was my, my thing in the class. I leave the class and like write down the word sesquiterpene on my paper, not even sure if I spelled <laughs> the word right. I'm like, I don't know what a sesquiterpene is, but it's important for healthcare. So it's got to be it's part all, of it's just all here. chemistry right like I, that's what boggles my mind is that yeah. i think people think that things are just not uh or, or they're they're more than what they seem to be i think and really getting it down and ann calhoun did such a great job at breaking down the chemistry of this that you know it's broken down into chemical parts yeah and those chemical parts are similar to so many different things 
medicines, other plants, other beings that that's how they, they work. And when I learned about that, like my mind just exploded sideways because I was like, Oh, I was like, I get this now. I get why digitalis has turned into a medication for, for the heart. Absolutely. I get why Senecot is a medicine to treat constipation. I get why plants have actually become, especially in, in the Vinca categories, why they've become such potent chemotherapies because they're built on powerful chemicals based on chemistry. Yeah. And now I get why bergamot works for pain. Right. Right. It's like, oh, I get this now. It's it's these pathways. So how does, how does one, so you started, well, you didn't start in the PACU, but you became a PACU nurse and I'm kind of going back to this, but I want people to, to know, you know, how you got involved in PACU care and how can people get involved in PACU care? And then I want to know how people can get involved in becoming, I guess, more of a nurse researcher and also involved in aromatherapy? Um, as far as being a PACU nurse, I, that was just a, oh, it's kind of a funny story. I was just applying for jobs. I needed a job and I needed a job quickly. We were moving and I applied at a PACU, at a PACU with no PACU experience. <laughs> the interviewer, she's still a friend of mine to this day because I, I you know, just, you don't leave people like this behind. She she says, how do you feel about managing an airway? I had no clue what the answer was. And I said, I think it's a really good idea. I actually said that I walked out (laughs) really good idea. I walk out and I tell my husband, I'm like, well, I didn't get that job. (laughs) And then, you know, the next day she called me and offered me the job. I said, you are either completely desperate or you are a risk taker <laughs> she said or you see something in me that I don't see in myself said, a little bit of both <laughs> and I said I'm in and my gosh those, those nurses that took me on at that institution with no experience I I mean I'd been in med surge I had basic working knowledge that's it so as far as the anesthetic agents interpreting EKGs, all of those things that you have to do like this as a package, none of it took me six months Wow, to get, and they, and they will still, some of them I'm still friends with today. They'll still say, I did not think you were going to make it. And I go home crying, but, (laughs) but, and the only thing I had was IV skills. I knew that I could start an IV because I had done it before. That's very important to pack you though. I go in and um, try to start an IV and it took me weeks to actually, I was so nervous and I don't know, just, I was a mess for a while. <laughs> the nurses there, they loved what they did and I loved being around them yeah. because they loved what they did and they were good at it. And so I was determined to take advantage of that and learn that. And um, it's just been a really good, a really good tool. I enjoy working you know, pre and post. Um, so, and had a lot of, you know, like, like I said, you get connected with a lot of nurses that have been doing things. Um, and it's just not being afraid, not being afraid to try something new and not afraid or intimidated by the nurses who are really good at it and are really passionate about you being good about it too. And that's how I'm going to say they can seem kind of mean sometimes. (laughs) They just have a lot of passion, but they're just really passionate about that. You get this right because it's serious. It is serious. serious. It's life and death. And I I try to tell my students that all the time, 
where I'm like, you know, there, there was such, such a time, at least, at least where I'm, where I did my first degree that people would look forward to crying after their shift because they knew that they did a good job. And I was like, what does that even mean? And so there, there, there was such a time when I think the concept of bullying was such a, was such a really bad, bad thing. And now, you know, I think that people have to take a look into how serious someone is as opposed to what, or, or I should say like how they're coming across. Cause it might not be that they're against you, right? There's, there's not like that concept. I, I, I don't think, I think people are genuinely good people. Do I think bullying exists? Absolutely. But I do think people need to talk to each other. I think you need to ask questions as a new nurse. I think that you, you sit, hit the nail on the head when nurses just want you to be as serious as they're being because it's a serious profession and they want you to care about whatever specialty that you're going into. Like for me, it's neuroscience, right? I want people to just love the brain. I just, I love that, right? I want people to love critical care. I want people to really love taking care of really sick patients because that's what I love. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, any one of my students, that's fine if you don't want to go into these things, but just appreciate where you are in the moment and take a deep breath and focus on, on, on what you can focus on. And at the end of the day, I think that you'll learn something so great from it. Yeah. I think that bullying uh, and in the, I think it gets, there's absolutely bullying. My definition and my identification of that is a little different. Like it, mm-hmm. I would not ever, to me, I've always weeded through. Yeah. Is this nurse an expert? Does she know or he know what they're talking about? Is there something I can learn from them? What is it that they're trying to accomplish? I mean, there's a really examination I mean, there's bullying that happens when it, when a leader or a, a preceptor is insecure in their skills mm-hmm. um, and they mask it with demands and commands and critiques. Um, and sometimes they're threatened by the new person. And I've seen a lot yeah. of that too. Yes. So yep. if you're really serious and they are, you know, they recognize that you're a little bit stronger than they are, there, there's that. But I think there's, also like coming into especially something new I always say to I always say to my the nurse residents that I've precepted especially the newer newer or newer nurses I always just ask them what kind of nurse do you want to be I always ask them that that's the first thing I'll ask them and sometimes I ask them multiple times until they make them have an answer before I'm done with them because they need to know what kind of nurse do you want to be do you want to be the kind of nurse that advocates for patients do you want to be the kind of nurse that does research? Do you want to be the kind of nurse that does makes evidence-based practice changes and pays attention to that? Does the best patient care? Or do you want to be the nurse that makes a good living and goes home and enjoys their, you know, like, where's your focus? Mm-hmm. That's really important on how you shape your career. I don't think there's one, I don't think it's wrong to say, I want to go, I want to enjoy my coworkers. I want to take care of my patients the best I can. And then I want to go home and play with my dog and travel and I think that's fine. Or I want to focus on my side gig and I just want to come here and be helpful. Yeah. As put, and then there's the nurse that wants to be involved in everything, wants to make evidence-based practice change, wants to research, wants to read the articles. What kind of nurse do you want to be? And then just be that nurse the best you can. Yeah. Because we need both. Yeah. So we need all of us. Absolutely. And we need to own it where we are and find our voice within 
the realities, not trying to be somebody else, not trying to change somebody else, um, not trying to go into management because maybe it's easier or a better schedule. <laughs> right. So just be the nurse you want to be. Um, and, and that's actually just what I did. My, my thing is research. I love to research. I love to learn. I love to push against the grain. I love to bring out other voices. I like to empower. And so that was just a natural thing. I found about essential oils. It wasn't part of something. It seemed like a challenge. And so I jumped on it. Then I learned that other nurses wanted to as well, but maybe didn't want to go against the grain. So could I create some resources for them to make that a little bit easier for them to make, you know, some of them are real high relators and I wasn't, so they need a community to, to find their voice in. And so let's, let's do that. Um, so it's been, it's been fun. It's a good, and that's what's made me love being a nurse. Um, just finding, I guess, how, what kind of nurse I wanted to be. And yeah. That, and then I could love being a nurse instead of just it being a means to an end. That's such a good point. How, how does, how does one become certified in aromatherapy if they're looking for it? A lot of really good programs out, out there. I would go probably search the like HNA, make sure they're accredited through there. And there's a couple that, um, that accredit the, at least accredit the education hours through the ANCC. So look at the institution. That's what I did. And my institution really values ANCC accreditation. So um, I went through essential health in Minnesota with Denise Josiak. She's, uh, she did a huge research at the line of health on essential oils. She was such a fabulous guest on this podcast and I love her. And she like, is just so smart at what she does. Yes. Yes. So um, yes, the listeners can go back and access that, that, because that's a really good, I would probably, she was probably the most um, nurse focused um, and really helped me with working through how you integrate into healthcare and be a nurse aromatherapist. Yeah. So, um, and she studied with just about everybody in the aromatherapy world that I can think of. Um, so. She really has. And she's just like, I want to give these resources to people. And I'm like, okay, I love yeah, that too. Absolutely. Yeah. She's so, she's so good. And she's offered essential oil nurses a discount on her program. She has. Yes, so. she has. Oh, I have to link that. I don't think she sent me those links, but I do probably, sh- I, I probably should link, link that at some point to this podcast, but I, I'm also glad that you brought up the AHNA. Yeah. Which is the American Holistic Nurses Association and the ANCC for the accreditation, because a lot of people, I don't think realize that these are accredited by major nursing bodies. And if you've done um, some research, much like, much like I have down this rabbit hole that I tend to go, go down, the Joint Commission also has statements about aromatherapy as well. So it is um, acknowledged by them, which is very important because I think that people look for that. And I think that, you know, if, if you're going to change policy or change practice, having a clear body of evidence behind it is, and, and regulatory requirements and policy things. And, you know, don't be afraid of asking people that you meet for their policies. I think that's really important. Um, because I think people should share more of that if it, if it, if you really want to be successful, I know like Minnesota in general has a fabulous, just overall encompassing like aromatherapy program that they have in their hospitals and they do like fabulous work with a lot of things. So even listeners can, can kind of research down that road as well. 
Minnesota's the state nursing practice has a lot. They say a lot about essential oils and that helps too. They do. Yeah. And we've modeled a lot of our practice here off of what they're doing there. Um, a lot through Denise. I connected with her because I read her publication. I was like, I got me here. (laughs) Oh yeah. I I have to know her. Right. Also, that's a really good point. Don't be afraid of reaching out to somebody that you feel that you need to meet or be connected to because networking is such a great thing. It's how Julie and I met. And, you know, people are genuinely pretty gracious about what they can share with you. You know, as long as you're not hateful about it and want to use it maliciously against them, right? You, people are usually very, very gracious that you want their time and attention. So don't be afraid of, of, of asking for it. Oh, I love it when people make a, like, like make appointments with me for like, a, and I, cause I love hearing what other people are working on too. Yeah. So yeah. And I've never had, I've never had anybody. I'm always surprised too, because they always seem like a little bit of a celebrity when you reach out to them through a publication, like, are they going to return my email? <laughs> they do. It's and then like, you find out just like the IRB, they're all human. They're humans. They're human. Everybody's humans. Like that's why they would not have published if they didn't want you to know about the that, content. That is, that is correct. And it's, it's so crazy to think of nurses as celebrities, but you're absolutely right. Like you see people and they're doing these crazy new things and you're like, oh man, they are impossible to reach, but they're, but they're really not. They're yeah, humans yeah. and they're wonderful. And they're just, and, and most of the time, 95% of the time, they're just, they're just nice. I don't, I mean, I honestly don't think I've met any mean person, but I'm sure they're out there. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. <laughs> the ones that don't return your call or your email. So. Right. But I probably don't want to know them. So it's fine. <laughs> um or they send you a fee. Right. Or they'll send you a fee. Yes. If you want a 60 minute phone combo, here's my fee. Don't do that to people. Um, really quickly, how, how does one, and this is, this is probably a very comprehensive question, but how does one become an entrepreneur? Are there resources that you have used to help guide you or are there organizations or things like that, that you can offer people? Um, well, shameless plug, essential (laughs) nurses, we, (laughs) are always focusing away. on helping, you know, all of the entrepreneurial aspects. We have an entrepreneurial class. Um, we have Kathy Randall, who is entrepreneur of entrepreneurs. And um, so a lot of expertise there, a lot of nurses that have made their way um, out of the, away from the bedside into full-time entrepreneurial um, adventures. And um, so that's a good community to connect with. Um, there are courses there. Um, of course, to help you get started and kind of asking the right questions. And, um, but I think from, honestly, my process is just figuring it out myself. I asked, it was an accident for me. So I didn't mean to do it. And if I had it to do all over again, I would, get, I would have started better by connecting with a good mentor and a good community of, of like-minded, you know, I <laughs> like essential nurses find out what are they doing, what are, what's working and, um, and then take some intentional steps. Um, so my journey has been a little bit longer because like I said, I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> it was an accident. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you, but you stepped into it, you know? Um, yeah. And then figuring it out as, as I go. And, but since then knowing that there are resources out there, um, and like I said, the essential nurse community is full of, you know, even if just, even if just going to like taking in the conference, um, hearing somebody talk about something that you're equally passionate about and looking them up and seeing what they have, because, um, a lot of the nurses also 
you know, teach courses or lead communities on the entrepreneurial venture and have podcasts like yourself. And um, so, yeah, yeah. I've, I've loved following your journey. Um, oh, thank you. So, I don't even know what my journey is, so. <laughs> well, it seems like you're always doing something new and fresh and um, you just did another project that I saw I'm always watching you on social media to see what, what you're up to next. And yeah, I just, and um, then your triathlete thing, I can't, I can't even, <laughs> I don't even know when you get all that done, but why well, I, I haven't, I, I honestly haven't trained in a year because of the pandemic, my, my pool shut down, it's still closed down. Um, and I'm trying to actually work with this app called my swim pro shameless plug on myself as well, that, um, has swimming, programs and like it'll teach you how to swim it'll it'll do all these awesome things but i really want them to 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 make like this like pool locator so that it's not so difficult for people to find pools when they want to just go for like a day swim um so i haven't really been doing much i i've i've done a lot of cycling in my basement (laughs) on a lovely app called zwift i'm not i'm not a peloton person i i appreciate people that use peloton but I typically, I just love Zwift because it's, it's, you can either ride around, like, so you're this avatar that rides around um, and you can climb mountains and all this other crazy stuff. And it, it uses your own bicycle and you have these little sensors that I think they cost maybe like 50 bucks to buy them. And you have a heart rate sensor on as well. It's important. Um, But you can, as you cycle harder, your power goes up, you go faster on this thing. So it's really intuitive and really addicting to to work out on. And then running has been very slow. Um, I, I, I sprained my ankle 2021 has been going so good that I sprained my ankle really bad that I had to rehab it really aggressively to be able to run a 10 mile race the next week. And my mile time was, was only like 13 minutes. So, I mean, there's no shame in running slow, right? I always say to people like start from step one and work your way forward because my journey back into insane endurance sports was literally in my own mind I was like running three miles seems like a really daunting aspect like like that's where I was in 2015 was how am I going to run a mile how am I going to run three miles like it was really crazy and my mom and I had signed up for the broad street run which is which is a 10 mile race we're like we can do this it's fine (laughs) so I mean really just starting at step one and, and just moving forward but um, but going back to, to the project, I kind of am, I wrapped up, but I'm, but I'm also still working on was perhaps the heat maps that I presented to my, um, our department of nursing research. They held a conference with the college and that's been a three-year journey of assessing over 4,000 points of data and building these heat maps to assess where our stroke patients go. And we can assume at one point that stroke patients, we, we know where they go, we have their address, right? But when we look into things like social determinants of health and political determinants of health, these, and you overlay those, these are such a hugely different viewpoint and what it means to take care of a patient that in this particular research I'm doing, we can overlay canvassing and know the type of people that live in this area by data already collected, and then help to make care plans literally very, very specific to that person, depending on the street they live on. So that's, 
that's like this cool thing that I'm, that I'm working on that um, I haven't shown anybody yet because it's not something that I, that I can show in terms of the, the care planning part, but the general heat maps I can. And the, and the biggest eye opener. So, so I used our large, um, we did a, we did a five county community assessment, not me, but like my organization. And I, I looked into that and I'm like, well, they have these things and we know these things about these communities, right? We know, you know, this particular community has a problem with cardiovascular care, I, eyeglass care, eyeglass care, eye, eye care, um, and, you know, little things like that. And their poverty level is this amount. And so I kind of wasn't, you know, bought into this concept of, well, this, this can't be, this can't be it. Cause we know these things, but these things are not working to help these patients. Right. The biggest thing that I found was actually broadband internet access and what that meant for severe stroke morbidity. And so that's what I'm currently working on is digital access to health and what that means for people, because the pandemic has opened up so many, so many different lights that we've have not been able to see because we weren't forced to just be alone and on our phones or on our computers the entire time. So when we have done, you know, iPad talks with people, because I don't want to, I don't want to promote any kind of like service, but, and you see people's homes and you're, and you want to, to, you know, have that connection with a patient. It, it's a whole different, it's a whole different viewpoint of what they're going through. And so yeah. we have to get on this part now that says, you know, when, when my students went home and had to be on virtual clinicals, you saw a different side of, of how they live. It's not hidden behind a college dorm. Yeah. You saw all the patients at homes and how their families actually live and, and, they could be in like such a disarray, right? And so that's that's where we need to get to and, and where health equity meet, meets and, and why it matters. And even going back to like our, our first original part of this conversation about service, like those things really matter. And, and when we get to know people in terms of, let's just, let's just go on with what we discussed earlier, in terms of church communities, you saw a lot of fight during the pandemic when things closed down about, well, how am I gonna go to church? It was all over the news of like, well, how am I going to attend church? And before looking at this, I didn't realize how important that was in, in this light. I knew, I knew it was important, right? Yeah. I'm a participant, but how important it is to somebody and how much it impacts their mental well-being was something that was just not there. And now if they don't have broadband, they can't attend church. So that's really, really important. And, And I think where in the future, that particular part of my research is going to go towards in a very long conversation. That was long. Yeah. <laughs> you have to say a lot of words, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I love that. I wouldn't have ever even, you know, that wouldn't even be on that. That's another thing, like just all the things that we do together, like how then does that turn into something else when we start to collaborate and just hearing yeah. about that, that's really. Um, yeah, like, you know, it's, it, it kind of, it kind of made me think a lot too, because of, um, so I, I'm not sure if you have Netflix, do you have Netflix? Mm-hmm. So two documentaries that really opened my mind was The Social Dilemma and also Coded Bias was a really great documentary to watch about how bias our AI is. And then Social Dilemma for People is a really good documentary on social media and the power it has over every single one of us. And I'm not trying to convince you anyone way. I'm not, I'm not trying to convince the listeners anyone way about this stuff, but it, we, we really need to be mindful about how we use social media 
and how everybody has a cell phone and social media is the easiest way of getting of getting news of getting health information of all this stuff but it's not the most appropriate way because of how broadband accesses download times and all these other things to access documents so i think i think more along the lines of those things will will be coming but yeah it's it's huge yeah yeah it's very interesting <laughs> yes <laughs> well julie anything else that you want to mention to our listeners student nurses whatever on this podcast uh no my my main thing always for nurses is find your voice and it doesn't it's not going to sound like everyone else's it doesn't have to that's why it's your voice and recognize nurture that autonomy because it's real and i think not anything to take lightly it's a it's a privilege and a responsibility that we have as nurses to exercise our autonomy uh, master our content discover our purpose and get our voice out there that's awesome well julie thank you so much for coming on this podcast episode i really appreciate it i hope you'll be back at some point in the future oh thank we'll talk you again anytime soon. i love chatting with you <laughs> yay yeah so